Support for Talking Art comes from Quad City Bank and Trust, providing consumer and commercial banking as well as trust and asset management. For more information, visit qcbt.bank or stop by one of QCBT's five locations. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with local mixed media artist Steve Banks about his solo exhibition, Citizen Beige, which is now up at the Aurora Public Arts Third Floor Gallery in Aurora, Illinois. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a large show combining many of your older pieces with new works, both paintings and sculpture. And you frequently describe your your work as painted constructions. So what does that mean yes. exactly? That's actually a term that I came up with. And that's more of a, a nice gentle thumb in the eye of like art criticism and art theory that... There's kind of the, the trends that are going on in contemporary painting right now, and I'm not following those. I don't care to follow them. I never will be following them. My stuff, I just say, hey, it's painted. There, there is paint on the surface. I'm not worried about conventions or anything like that. It's just got colors. And so maybe when you're looking at it, don't see it through the lens of, well, you know, lately people are putting on paint really thick and this looks thin. Is this a state? It's not a statement about anything. It's just I'm putting color on the stuff. So. But, it, but it's very three dimensional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the I guess, yeah, to address that part of it, it's also not just paint on the surface. It's uh, all kinds of relief elements. A lot of times it's collage wrapped with fabric, but sometimes it's also things that I've carved out of wood. Um different kinds of clothing. I just uh, moved from my old studio to my new studio and I have so many bins of like burlap sacks and old t-shirts and things like that that get recycled and reused, which is another thing that I do and I wish more artists did was instead of using just straight up new stuff is try to recycle as much as you can because there's so much waste in this country, in particular uh, cardboard. I had a teacher in grad school say right off the bat goes there is more art making material thrown away in this city every day than all of you could use in the two years that you're going to be in this program mm -hmm. so don't ever cry that you don't have art materials <laughs> you're just not looking for them and so you do use those very common objects that you yeah. find to to create collages assemblages yeah. almost to a fault even because like i'll have a collection like the, there was an absolutely beautiful crushed pizza hut pizza box that I've kept with me for a couple years that I'm going to do something. I just love the way that it was folded. <laughs> and um, many years ago, I was on Locust Street right over by the uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken there. And there was a car muffler that had been crushed flat. It had all kinds of beautiful rust on it. And so I picked it up and I'm walking down the street. And I've got this giant, it looks almost like I'm carrying like a, a flattened guitar. I mean, it's a good size thing. Somebody drives by, hey, are you an artist? Yeah, thought so kept going. I mean, that not nobody would scrutinize that at all. As soon as they find out you're an artist, the door is open for all kinds of weird stuff. And um, I actually used that muffler later on when I was teaching a 3D design class. I brought it in. I was like, this is your thing of inspiration. I don't care what you make. You're, this is your starting point. Either go with the texture, go with the shapes, whatever. Have at it. And some of them totally thrived with that, and others I might as well just come in and started torpedoing the hull of their ship. It was it was kind of mixed results on that. Well, but, this has been described as a pop art show, and yeah. and you know you do very adeptly use comics and pop 
culture imagery to address very serious topics with humor. And and uh, I'm wondering why. Have you always gravitated towards comics and, and more levity? Comics in the sense of like Mad Magazine, Cracked Magazine, Crazy Magazine, and do you remember Wacky Packages from the 70s and not. 80s? Um, they were these little stickers. So think of like baseball cards. You still got that crappy crunchy piece of gum in there but instead of baseball cards you got stickers and they were like parody things of different products so instead of like tums antacid it was dumbs instant relief from thinking and using your brain and i just loved as a kid that this was kind of some of the first stuff i saw those subversive and poked fun at the adult world and like is that possible is that something you can do is that allowed and it's it's totally allowed if you just go do it. If you're waiting for somebody's permission, you'll never get that. But um, that was the beginning of a oh, parody. Yeah, that's great. And it, it had the packaging. It had it's sort of a Trojan horse. It looked like everything that it's making fun of. But then when you look at it just a little bit closer, like, wait a minute. You're not one of the soldiers. You're the other side. So, yeah. yeah, I found that very interesting. Well, and you can see that in your work because you have, if you look closely, there's there's so many images, Kool-Aid pictures and those those iconic I just yellow. Drew a, the Kool-Aid guy yesterday, actually, uh, for a carving that I'm going to be doing. Well, those very iconic kind of uh, from the 70s yellow smiley faces and mm -hmm. kind of toasters and these kind of smiling howdy-doody type images. So Well, that toaster, I, if I'm thinking it's Milton the toaster or something, if I'm thinking of the thing that you saw which uh terry rathje gave me a book called meet mr product that was just page after page of primarily forgotten mascots or things that i you know like uh such and such spark plugs like i didn't know that you know when you're selling spark plugs you need to come up with a, a catchy little character to sell them to kids what you know what, what's the purpose of that but they had that and uh, milton the toaster was one of those and then gosh not too long ago i was helping clean out a warehouse and came across a massive book of like clip art that you would have used to have included like with your ad in like the yellow pages and it's row after row of these things and i figured that if i drew one row a day from this book like you know because that's primarily what i do when i encounter something i'll draw it in my sketchbook maybe redraw it another time and then like the third or fourth generation is actually what makes it into my piece um Anyway, if I drew one row of those per day, it was still like 20 years worth of things to draw. Like if just that one thing. And I've obviously for many, many weeks now not drawn anything from that. But there's just so much of that material out there. Right. And, you know, and for you, it's it's used very effectively because it's 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 in part what draws the viewer to look more closely at your work. So you mm -hmm. you told me before that they're attracted to kind of this sugary coated, um, kind of whimsical yeah. appearance, mm -hmm. but underneath there's a very serious uh, message that you're trying yeah, to convey. Yeah, I, I try anyway with that. You know, there's always what you you hope you're accomplishing, and then there's the reality of what you accomplish, and you might not even know the difference between your hopes and what reality are, depending on, you know, if you get the message out or um, something like that. But yeah, the, uh, I try to intersperse recognizable pop culture things like, well, say Twinkie the Kid, for instance, with something more obscure like Milton the Toaster. I don't know many people know that. Then just straight up with some of my stuff um, and kind of mix them together as one whole world. So I've even, with this show... I do have a Twinkie the Kid sculpture. I have a Little Caesar sculpture. And then I have one of my characters, Captain Galactica. And they now all inhabit 
the the physical world and i want to bring more of those together to where it's kind of a seamless transition throughout all those things because i've kind of been doing that on canvas for a while but it's takes a lot longer to build a life-size sculpture than it does to draw a few things down on the surface but it's it's a very familiar vehicle to get people into your piece and go on that journey. Yeah. If Twinkie the Kid's in there, it can't be that bad, can it? <laughs> well, you, you've said, and, and this is on your website, my artwork is about finding meaningful identity and individuality within popular culture. So yeah. you do that very well. And, you know, I, so I'm curious, what is the significance between the title of this exhibition, which is Citizen Beige? Citizen Beige, yeah. It, um, I was thinking about kind of conformity and wanting to blend in and not wanting to make waves to be part of something you know being intrusive within that but the thing itself might not be something that you should be participating in and that's kind of how you get to that my uh suite the ship of fools suite which is i think like 18 panels i've even lost count because we up to when we installed it, we're changing kind of the configuration and adding stuff and uh, removing things. But uh, that goes back to uh, a thing that I found out back in 2020. And I, I was not, I was embarrassed that I was as old as I was before I learned this for the first time. But I was watching a thing on Levittown and the history of it. And, and Levittown is a town in New Jersey. It's three three towns. Mm. Um, and it was, was it William Levitt, if I've got the name right? I used to say Bob Levitt because I didn't know the first name. And I was like, oh, I'm not that far off with William. Um, there's Levittown, New Jersey, Levittown, Pennsylvania, Levittown, New York. And it was housing built for GIs after World War II coming back because we there, there was a need for housing. And William Levitt wanted to build thousands tens of thousands of you know there's like four different house styles well that's absolutely crazy who's ever heard of a suburb those didn't exist and no place would loan him money to do this other than the federal government and somewhere and this is the part that i really need to research like who put this in the contract because you and i could sit here with a contract between us and that language wouldn't magically pop in some human being somewhere put that in there but in the contract it specifically said those properties could not be sold to non-caucasians nor could they be resold these were to be white only developments and the show that i watched the the blurb on that was talking about these houses were like eight thousand dollars when they first came out and they were um, knocking out a house every 15 minutes. That's how fast these developments were going up. And um, within one generation, that house was worth like 25 to 30,000. And a few generations later, those homes are now worth like half a million dollars. So if you kept that in your family, that was something you could borrow against for medical costs or college. Or I mean, you could leverage that to all kinds of greater advantages. Plus, you could just sell it. Now you got half a million dollars. Well, that was all money that was funneled towards Caucasian hands and out of non-Caucasian hands. And so I would have, what, in 2020 been 47, 48 Right. I'm so, like, why am I learning about this now? I went, I went to a good high school. I went to good colleges, and I'd never heard a word of this. Right. Well, we haven't been talking about it as much yeah. as we are now, and and 
you know, certainly that situation has contributed to enormous racial discrepancies in terms of generational wealth. But, yeah. you know, how did you take your, your kind of shock and dismay and anger about housing discrimination? How did you translate <laughs> did into I, your work? How did I artwork? fill it with cream and put a nice, uh, nice chocolatey coating on it? Um, so one of the expressions that they used in that program was that the the agreement at Levittown served as the blueprint for a lot of the suburbs throughout the United States. And so the, the blueprint stuck in my head because my undergrad training is actually uh, a large part of it's in photography. And so I did cyanotypes, which are blueprints, um, you know, but using photo negatives instead of drawings of buildings. But I already had that picture in my mind, almost like, you know, a denim blue with like white on it as a blueprint, like mm-hmm. you would see as a construction thing. Well, that blue is basically the same blue as the United States flag. So it's not a huge hop from the blue of a blueprint to the blue of the flag, the white of drawings of buildings to the white of stars. And so then I just kind of combined those things and started putting some stripes in and stuff like that. But, you know, made sure that like there's definitely not 50 stars on the main piece. There's almost like 120, I think. So it's not just straight up, this is the flag, this is bad. But to, you know, try to make those connections enough that you pick them up and you see that they're there, but not so overt that that's the only thing that you get from it. I don't want it to be such a uh, finger-shaking didactic that that I find is such a turnoff when somebody's like, you need to think like this when you look at my work. I'm like, I'd rather it was much more open-ended and just this is where it came from uh-huh. from me. Yeah, with well, a message that you can take away from your work. It's just as layered as the mm. as the pieces itself that you've constructed. And, and you have a blog, Steve, um, that you can uh, read if you Google Steve banks punching holes in the rah-rah and and uh, and in that in that blog um you 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 go through the process that you followed to Mm -hmm. create this ship ship of fools suite yeah which is really um which is super interesting and it you know and it's and it's large it's very large you have some works that are um 16 17 feet yeah i believe in width that particular one is it's at least 17 feet and that was um one of the really cool things about the venue at aurora public art is that they had three in particular three large stretches of wall where i could do this because there's not that many spaces where you can even if you think about making a 17 foot wide piece where there's 17 feet of uninterrupted space um and so it was really kind of the perfect venue at the perfect time to to show this. There's yeah. also a musical analogy that you've used in reference to the multi-panels that you com- have compared it yeah. in your mind to a symphony. Yeah, like a symphony that is broken down into different suites, which allows there to be kind of an overarching theme, but there can be a fair amount of variety between movement to movement. So it's not just the same song over and over again, but you can bring in little elements and repeat it and shift it and change it. And um, you're just not obligated to stuff everything into one piece. And I see myself working more towards that instead of trying to put like five layers on one piece to get everything in there. Like what if I just have a companion piece? or a couple on the side that hit this other way of looking at what I'm talking about. Um, And then you're also, 
you're free to, there's some color balance and there's just some other things you don't have to worry about. Whereas like if it's in one piece, kind of the rules of art as well, you got to have some level of consistency and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I wanted an obnoxious green and it's not working <laughs> with the pink that I got going here, but I can just put it on a panel next to it. And all of a sudden it just, it works differently because you recognize it as a, a distinct entity, but yet it's also part of the like the gestalt total. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of color, you know, the last collection of your work that I saw was in 2021 at Pat mm -hmm. Moreskin's gallery. Yeah. Uh, and you've had an exhibition called Construct, Destruct. Mm -hmm. But many of the pieces in that collection were, um, were more muted yes. hues. And this one's very colorful. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this one being this current exhibition. So why did you make that change? I honestly, I have a lot of different undercurrents going in my work. And if you were to go through and cherry pick things out, you could right now pull out a nearly monochromatic show. And you could also pull out one that looks like a Technicolor sneeze. Um, it, it's really kind of a function of curation at that point. Um, and a lot, a lot of times that just goes down to mood. Like some days I am really intrigued by well, what if I just did this with one or two colors or maybe just black and white and then other times and a lot of times maybe I'm like thumbing through Instagram or something like that I'm like whoa look at that color combo I am totally steal wait not stealing I'm appropriating that because <laughs> um, that's really cool or I see something I uh one of the pieces in my show that I had at the figgy actually the color scheme primarily came from a dumpster that was parked on Main Street mm. that had this beautiful rust pattern, but it also had graffiti on it and had these great colors. And then also these, I'm like, well, I'm going to take that. And um, I don't know if I wasn't paying attention earlier in my life or if the graffiti game has just ramped up, but the stuff I see going by on trains anymore just blows my mind mm -hmm. someday. Some of the, I'm like, this is a master class in color theory. You ought to just park out a lawn chair here and watch the trains go by for a couple hours and then take good notes. And there you go. There's your first year of grad school, kid. You mentioned your Figgy show. And for people who don't recall that, that was in 2018. You yes. had a solo exhibition called Pop Culture Palimpsest. Yeah. Yeah. Which just was, a mere five years ago now. Uh, not that long. <laughs> well, not that long. But, you know, I also wanted to, to quickly mention, too, one thing that I found incredible was that... Your work in the show extends beyond the painted constructions mm -hmm. um, and your sculptures. You've also created the carved frames for yes. many of them and built the pedestals that your mm -hmm. sculptures are on. So it's like pop art or folk art almost taken to a level where you as an artist are exerting total control over it. There is that. I think like we'll say for the pedestals in particular – I saw what they had there and I know kind of what the, the visual language of pedestals are. And I just felt that I needed some sort of transition from the stark white pedestal to my ceramic things. And I happened to have this material left over from a project that Terry Dean and I did for the Figgy 10 year anniversary um, called All In It Together, where we built this giant beehive and as just one of many instances where I have a bunch of stuff left over from the past. And it's like, oh, this would be perfect cut up, painted white. And it combines the language of the pedestal, but it also references the language that I have in my ceramic thing. So it's a nice, it's almost like a vestibule going into a building. You don't just, boom, go straight into the sanctuary of a church. You have that, you know, entryway narthex, I think is the 
I recall my church terminology from art history class. If I don't, sorry, there are any, any art historians out there like, that's not what that is. Well, um, you know, while this exhibition is on display in Aurora, Illinois, which is a western sh suburb of Chicago, mm -hmm. you created all of this it, right here in the Quad Cities in your yes. studio space. Yes, in well, Davenport. the ceramics was done at uh, Black Hawk College. Ah, uh, okay. So. so where's your studio located? You're trying to get stalkers to find no. me? No, it's uh, downtown Davenport. I'm just Davenport. curious. Yeah, no, downtown Davenport, it's right off the uh, government bridge. I've got that space for at least a year, and it's... It must be large because of the it's, scale of your Yeah, work. it's about 3,000 square feet. Um, honestly, the two things that I'm missing from my old studio is the old studio had gobs of steam heat. And we haven't had winter yet, but I could work in shorts and a T-shirt because it would be in mid-90s in January in my studio. It was absolutely lovely. This winter is not going to be that warm because I now have to pay for the utility bill. Um, and for years and years and years, my studio was above Antonella's. And they had... Which is on 3rd Street? It was on 3rd Street. Mm -hmm. They've got Antonella's, too, is wow. down at the Freight House. And then actually Giovanni and his son are at Salvatore's down in uh, Muscatine. But the amount of pizza that was in my weekly diet is probably not recommended by nearly every medical professional on the so planet. But it was so delicious because you could get <laughs> you could get a large two topping pizza okay. for twelve bucks. <laughs> so not to make this an advertisement, yeah, yeah. but it's hopefully I mean that was amazing. Less pizza in your current location then. Yeah, I'm making different bad choices. Yeah. But yeah, okay. I am I'm straight up eating less pizza because it's not just right there. Well and what's your relationship with Black Hawk College where you made your uh, sculpture? Uh, or so ceramics? I have taught different classes over there i did their darkroom photo till that program went away did life drawing um and have done ceramics for them and right now they're remodeling and so ceramics is on hiatus i don't know how long that hiatus is going to be the inner pessimist in me is like oh au revoir but uh yeah, somebody put me in charge. So I had this studio and I had to like babysit the kilns to you know, slowly bring the temperature up. So what are you going to do if you're hanging around a ceramics room for 12 hours on a day? You're going to make a whole bunch of ceramic pieces. So I, it, it was a perfect excuse to make a body of work. Yeah. Well, you and have... eat a lot of stuff out of the vending machines, which goes back <laughs> to my bad choices. It's so difficult to make a career, a working career as an artist, but you have done that. Um, you know, besides your studio practice, you'd mentioned your teaching, and it's it's mm -hmm. you've taught at at more schools in our community than than Blackhawk, and you also have yeah. a relationship with the Figgy. Yeah, I was gonna say I've taught at Ambrose, I've taught at Augustana, I've taught at Blackhawk. I guess Scott is the the final frontier on places to go teach. Uh, I set up and take down exhibits at the Figgy. So that's a that's a pretty sweet gig because it's very intense three times a year. And then there's months where I'm basically unemployed, which, you know, which you that, give, that, that's which, an aspiration of mine is to be unemployed for the rest of my life. But, but that gives you time my... to to embrace and really concentrate on your studio yeah, practice. Yeah, yeah. And that, that helps a ton. I... Uh, one of my mentors in grad school, Ed Love, had given us some advice about, you know, get a job that doesn't ask too much of you so you can throw the rest towards art. And what he was referring to was like he was a janitor at night at one point in his life and he just carried a sketchbook with him. And when an idea hit, you know, nobody's watching him. He jotted out and 
keep that. Um, and I've had, I've tried to manifest that at different times and that with different levels of success. Cause I've had some brainless jobs that were f- very physically demanding, like working in uh, machine shops and things like that. And I basically at the end of each week felt like I'd been in a 40 hour fist fight. And so I, my weekends were kind of shot just recuperating. But one of the best ones I had was actually a night auditor at a super eight motel down in Texas. Because that was about three hours worth of actual work sandwiched into an eight-hour work shift. So there was a lot of time where, you know, I'm just there to babysit the hotel. And so I still use some of those sketches generated. And that was back in 2000. (laughs) And the other sweet part about that was that it was a part-time gig. I was on for four days and off for three. But the way we had it structured is I was on for eight and I was off for six. So my weekends were six days long. Like I helped a friend move to California one weekend because I have six days to do it. And so, yeah, like the first couple days back to work, I couldn't even remember what my job was because I'd been gone so long. And then by day seven and eight, I'm probably just absolutely horrible to be around because I want my weekend. But uh, it was good for art making. Mm-hmm. So. Is that some of the advice you would give to a younger artist? <laughs> try, try to find a job, a paid job that allows you time create creatively to think about well, your projects? If we're, if we're talking fantasy land, yeah, try to find a one-hour-a-week job that has full <laughs> benefits and pays you 50 k a year. Right, um, but, but find, beyond fantasy. Yeah, the, the, the reality of it is if it's not your career and you're not hurting other people by being underemployed, Like if you've got a spouse and you've got kids, most of my advice is probably pretty horrible for you because you'd be a very, very delinquent parent Um, because they, those people should be getting your time. They should be getting your best efforts. But if you're single and you don't care if you eat ramen, then yeah, there are some corners that can be cut and there's definitely don't go for the, the, you know, the office in the corner with all the great views just do enough to get your paycheck and get out so you can stay fresh and be in the studio because there is just an unofficial hard to calculate time that you need to kind of wrap your head around what you're doing and you can't just schedule okay i'm going to have 15 minutes of thinking time today and at the end of the 15 minutes i'm going to have an idea no i'm talking just hours of like staring at the wall or spacing out or and that's when stuff starts to creep in but you're also working i'm not going to say like just go lock yourself in a closet and stare at the wall you got to be doing stuff and manipulating materials but in that process your brain will start making connections and open things up for you. But if you're too tired from work or something like that, it's just tougher to do. I know some people can pull it off, go talk to them and get their blueprint on how they do that. I've had, you know, for me, it's been try to do as little of the J-O-B as possible so I can go do the W-O-R-K of studio stuff more. Mm-hmm. You'd also mentioned to me, though, that it's important to have an artistic community and to get connected with yes, other yes, artists yes, yes. In, the, in the area. Yes, and I, I would not have given well. myself that advice. If you went back 25 years ago, I, I didn't join nothing for nobody for no reason. I was on my own. That's why I got into studio stuff. And I definitely recognize... Um, yeah, let's say 25 years ago, because then I would have been 25. Now I'm 50. So that, you know, the, the halfway point to where I am now, I thought about it totally different, where now I'm like, having community to sound ideas off of, to give you material aid. So like Terry Rathsey works a whole bunch with epoxy clay. And it looks really cool. I bought a whole bunch of containers of it from him was meaning to use it. And then he was working on a project and needed to get some and it was just easier to get mine back from me 
and then I'll just get more in the future. So we're, you know, in addition to like, I can help him move stuff. We're also kind of reservoirs for each other. Like, Hey, do you, do you have any titanium white? Yeah. I got a couple tubes. Do I, <laughs> am I down to one tube now? Is that what you're telling me? I'm about to lose. Yeah. And just that kind of thing. So there's that, but there's also just kind of kindred spirits. So you don't even necessarily need to be talking about what you're working on, but everybody kind of understands right. what your life right. is. That underlying camaraderie. Yeah. yeah. And that's helpful. Plus, and that's like at the very tight, almost like a squad level. That that's, that's your people. That's the ones you're in the trenches with and would die for. But then there's also just the people you meet and the opportunities that come to you from people knowing you, just knowing that you're out there. And I have, as an employment thing, maybe gotten two or three jobs that I've applied for. Almost everything that I've ever gotten employment-wise or opportunity-wise is somebody that knew me from some something. They, they want to hit the easy button in their life. We would just want somebody who's going to show up on time and not be licking the walls crazy. Boom, easy button. We'll bring Steve in for two weeks to work on this, and this is such and such. Um, but like actual just, you know, apply for a job like you're supposed to. I have a horrible batting average with that. That's that's horrible advice to give to somebody. Mm -hmm. But um, getting involved with Midcoast Fine Arts back when they were here was really kind of the first step in me doing stuff. And then I got um, was the construction coordinator for Bucktown. And it was in that process that I met like my current landlord for my studio. And it's just so it just grew from there. It's yeah. been so many opportunities. Yeah. And I. I really did. I, I wrote a draft and submitted it to uh, Todd at River City's Reader, kind of like when Bucktown went under and Midcoast. It was right at 2020. Well, that's also right when the pandemic hit. So that's that's sitting on a hard drive somewhere, probably not going to get published. But I uh, that was something that I wanted to kind of have in writing. I'm like, this is just one person's journey with this one arts organization. But these are all the doors that got opened up from just doing that. So yeah, that that's advice that I would have given at 25 that is totally wrong. Join things, do things, give them what you can. A lot of organizations, and it's just the nature of volunteering, will take every last drop of blood you've got. And you've got to be selfish with that and give them just what you've got. Yeah. But in there lies a lot of opportunity. Well, lastly, I do want to talk about um, just briefly the Aurora Public Art Commission. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you're your um, exhibition is on there in their third floor gallery and they've mm -hmm. been doing great work beautifying their community with with i understand over 50 public art installations so that's, yeah, they, that's really they cool. had a big summer um and i i kind of also kind of fit conceptually with they had like a pop art uh summer i can't remember it's a, a college nearby that had an andy warhol show going on and so they did a whole bunch of things like that and so i'm like i don't know the bastard child of pop art um at the the back end of that but uh that first weekend when my show opened, they had all kinds of things going on in that downtown area related to pop art, and they had bands playing and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It, it was a, It's a very cool scene. And it's split by the Fox River. Yes, yeah. yes. It's on Stolp Island right in the middle of town, and um, it's... So people should go. It's it's a two-hour yeah. drive. If you're heading to Chicago, it'd be very yeah. easy to pop in and see your exhibition. Yeah, Citizen it's Bay. super easy, and I actually I get off at uh, Sterling and take Highway 30 in, and you not only is it slower... You can go back 30, 40 years in time. Like they've still got roadside motels and they got a, a little uh, burger and uh, ice cream like malts. So, uh, some of the pop images that you yeah, incorporated yeah, it's, into it's your work. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. And well, Steve Banks, thank you so much yeah, for talking today. Not a problem. And congratulations on oh, your thank show. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you for having me. 
Citizen Beige, the solo exhibition by local mixed media artist Steve Banks, is on display at the Aurora Public Arts Third Floor Gallery in Aurora, Illinois. A closing reception will be held on Saturday, September 16th, during which the exhibition catalog will be released and Steve will deliver his artist talk. Admission is free of charge. For more information, visit stevebanksart.com or the Aurora Public Arts website. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities, for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Kell. Thank you.